Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and I am honored to have world traveler Barbara joining me today. Hey, Barbara, how you doing? Terrific, and thanks so much for having me on your show, Jesse. No problem. Where did you just come back from? Well, I was just in Antigua for the Antigua Classic Yacht Regatta, and both of the boats that I was sailing on won. Nice. And then I and then I came back to St. Lucia for a fabulous party with the Prime Minister, and then I jumped on a plane and went over to Barbados for the World Championship of the J24 boats. So it's been a very hectic four days, needless to say. Wow, yeah, that is a lot of traveling in that short of a time. I was I'll just, never do it again. I was just going to ask, I said, how long were you off? A couple of weeks? And you're going, wow. <laughs> a couple of days. I left on Friday and was back by Monday night. Wow. So, I will never do it again. It sounds like it. So, Barbara, why don't you start out? Tell me a little about yourself, uh, where you're from, uh, you know, a little bit about yourself, uh, just well, general, and then we're going to get into your background growing up, what kind of music you liked. Okay. I have to say that I was born in Oklahoma, but I went to New Orleans, just college, to okay. Tulane. And then All from right. there, I went to NYU to grad school in philosophy. Okay. And um, Why Tulane? Uh, why Tulane? Because of the music. Mm. Because I loved the music in New Orleans, and also I was a scholarship student, and they were the highest bidder. Okay. So I, I got a, I got a two-for-one deal in that. What, uh, what kind of scholarship? Well, my scholarship was an academic scholarship. I had a four-point grade average. Nice. So I was, I was invited to come to Newcomb. I actually applied to Reed Rice, Swarthmore, and a couple of others, and I was accepted at all of them. Nice. However, Tulane came in with the biggest number. Okay. And my uh, father was quite broke at the time. Yeah. So I went with the biggest number. Yes. So uh, um, I went to grad school as uh, and got my uh, um, PhD without dissertation. Okay. In philosophy uh, at NYU, and I became a, I became a photojournalist, a photographer. Okay. Working for, working for NBC News, uh, Rolex watch, and I had fabulous clients. Oh, and nice. Then, and basically in 1980, I was photographing the America's Cup in Newport, Rhode Island, and there I met Ted Turner. Ah. And he, he hired me out of my happy life in New York City, and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where I was one of the founding members of Cable News Network. Oh, how interesting. Where I stayed for 20 years and created and produced a cartoon show called Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Okay. Uh, I had an entire documentary division developed to the document. I had a, a documentary division that focused on issues that make the world a better place. Yes. So creating jobs, poverty eradication. I dealt with a lot of very tough issues in the 80s and the 90s. Wow, that must have been very rewarding work, though. It still is. I still am working in that area, just not for CNN. Okay. Who are you working for? Well, now I'm not working for anyone. I'm working for myself. I'm setting up a no I've set up a number of charities. I have moved to St. Lucia. 
Okay. I now live in St. Lucia. I've been living here for almost two years. And St. Lucia is a spectacular island with very, very smart people. And so I'm working here with the Planeteers. The Planeteers are now grown up. This is a cartoon that went on the air in 1990. Yes. The Planeteers have grown up, and they're making a difference in their own right. So I attend all of the United Nations conference and summits having to do with climate change and sustainable development. And I'm working here with Lucian Planeteers, working on boat races, building capacity, getting youth involved in sailing, getting youth involved in swimming, creating jobs for women, and some real estate deals. Barbara, you're quite the little badass, aren't you? I am sort of a badass. That's very nice. <laughs> um, well, let's go back to that. Bruce, yeah. was a, Bruce was a year in my life. A oh. very big life. Okay, so I, I want to get to that. Before I do, take me back to Oklahoma. What part of Oklahoma were you born in? I'm from the smack almost in the middle. Okay. Called Valley, Oklahoma. If you're driving from Dallas to Oklahoma City. Yes. It's the small town that you stop and buy pecan pie. Okay. Or you stop in our favorite little bar and have a beer. It's a beautiful little town. Well, I love Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. I'm so happy to be from Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. I, you know, my son and I went up to Oklahoma City to see Bruce uh, a couple weeks ago, so we may have stopped there. Oh, you probably did. I mean, it's when you go through Ardmore, yeah. you, you hit Ardmore, then it's um, Sulphur, Davis, Winnie Wood, Paul's Valley, Paoli, Purcell, Wayne, Norman, Oklahoma City. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you get I back? Was, I was actually supposed to go to that concert. Yes. I would have loved to have gone it because, you know, the picture. Have you seen the book that I, I just published about Bruce Springsteen? I have not. The cover of that book was taken in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. Okay. I took Bruce to meet my parents on the Born to Run tour. We were in New Orleans, then we went to Houston, and we, the show got canceled in Austin, so we went to Dallas, and I actually figured out the timing, that it would be lunchtime when we hit Paul's Valley, so I asked if they wanted the best barbecue they ever had in their life, and they said, show enough. Sure. Sure. So I took them to my parents' house. Oh, how funny. And there, there's actually pictures of that in the book. Of them at my parents' house. There's Bruce in my father's Eames chair reading a copy of Time Magazine. Little did we know that two months later he would be the cover of Time Magazine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're just going to cut to the chase. So this is fascinating. I, I have your book uh, in front, so we're going to include a link in the show. But um, – what kind well, of I'll just, add, I'll just throw this in here right now, yeah. and I can throw it in a couple times. Yeah. But I'm actually going to go back up to New York this weekend for both concerts in Brooklyn. Right. And between the two concerts, we're having a fabulous party at my Springsteen Gallery. It's called Carmine Galleries, and it focuses on all the pictures that I took of Bruce and the E Street Band in 1974 and 75 when they were completely unknown. And we'll be having a book signing, and I'm going to be selling the prints at a discounted price. Okay, Barbara, give me the details again. I'm going back up to New York on Friday to go to both of Bruce's shows on Saturday and Monday night. And 
in the night between the Sunday night, this next Sunday night, April 24th, I'm having a special event at my gallery, Carmine Galleries at 59 Carmine Street in solidarity with Bruce and the band for the brave moves they, they made to support human rights. I'm discounting all my photographs and I'm giving a portion of the profits to a local LGBT organization in New York City in solidarity with Bruce and the E Street Band. That that is a wonderful uh, gesture, Barbara, and and I'm I know all us Bruce fans appreciate it. How did you how did you get? I mean, this this book looks fabulous, but tell me how you met Bruce and how this Let me, connection I, there's started. There's a preamble to this. Okay, please. Okay, I went to I went to Tulane. Yes. And my janitor at Tulane was a man named Fat Houston. Yeah. Because I never would have met Bruce if I didn't have a musical background. Okay. When I arrived in New Orleans and went and started at Tulane. My janitor was this very large and very dignified man. And I talked to him a bit. And you have to understand, we had segregation in New Orleans then. And he was very, very shy, but I knew there was something going on with this guy. Well, it what, turns out he was... What's huh? the time period about this? Uh, what's the time period, Barbara? 19, this is 1966. Okay. Oh, no, it's, no, no. Okay. It was 19... It was 1967. Okay. So in 1967, I met Fats Houston. Fats Houston was a grand marshal for the Olympia Brass Band. And he and I struck up a friendship, and he invited me to go out into the Sunday school parades. They had these on Sundays in New Orleans where all the little kids get all dressed up in their clothes, and, and it's just fabulous. And Harold Dejon's Olympia Brass Band was the marching band that did all these little Sunday parades and they did all the jazz funerals in those days. Well, if you've ever seen some of the New Orleans Jazz Fest posters, if you see a very large man, that is Fats Houston. So my first taste of New Orleans music was him. And then from there, because I had not specified uh, any kind of a roommate for college, my roommate was the first African-American woman ever admitted to Newcomb College, because I was actually at Newcomb College, a part of Tulane, then. Now it's been abolished. Shame on them. So Elaine Cunningham was my roommate, and her boyfriend was Alan Toussaint. Oh, sure. I recognize that from uh, Treme and, uh, you know, the uh, different music, so Absolutely. Well, he was a very fine piano player and music, musician and producer who really created the New Orleans music industry. The person that came before him was a guy called Cosmo Matassa. Mm. And I was in the studio with him and Lee Dorsey when he and Lee Dorsey recorded a lot of very, very famous hits. Sitting in my yaya, working in a coal mine, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Very good friends with Alan and with Lee and hung out with them a lot. Then when I was a senior in college, I took an ethnomusicology class and my janitor at that time was the big chief of the Black Eagles. Okay. So I started photographing. You, you saw Treme, so you saw the guy who plays a big chief. Right. This is, this is all very true. Ah. This is exactly what it's like in New Orleans. 
but I am the only white woman to have ever been a big queen of a black Indian tribe in New Orleans, a Mardi Gras Indian. Nice. So I masked with the black eagles, big queen of the black eagles. I still have all my feathers. They call it, when you come out in all the rhinestones, they call it fully stung. But with Alan, I became really good friends with Alan. And I spent a lot of time in his recording studio with Earl King, with Ernie K. Doe, with Dr. John, with Professor Longhair, with the Neville Brothers, with the Meters. I know all those people. Now, Plus, I'm so, an audio mixer. Okay, so Barbara, when you were a young girl in Oklahoma, what kind of music did you listen to? Uh, my parents listened to Dave Brubeck. Okay. And I listened to Dave Brubeck, and we had all of our country western thing going on. Sure. Hank Williams, Hank Thompson, all them. Right. So it was sort of a country western with modern jazz. We listened to modern jazz and country western. Very nice. So that was what I was raised on, but then in New Orleans, everything changed completely, and I became a you know an R and B person in a huge way. I yes. photographed all those guys. I did a lot of albums covers for those guys long before I met Bruce Springsteen. Now, have you always been interested in photography? Yes. Okay. I told my mother when I was five years old I was going to document the diversity of the human species before we were all in blue jeans, and I did it. How interesting. I did that. Okay. So I was living in New York at the time in 1974. I had gone to NYU grad school. Okay. And I was doing grad school, and I was trying to become a photographer. So I finally got some clients. I got Schaefer Beer as a client. Okay. And Schaefer Beer sponsored the summer concerts in Central Park. This is where I met Bruce in 1974, and this is before Max and Roy, mm -hmm. before Max and Roy. Right. So I really loved the music, loved it, and, by, and this is not some naive loving the music. Mm -hmm. This is a very experienced ear, because I had already mixed down a lot of records. Yeah. And my and I said I love I love his music insanely. So um, what? There's another huh? What do you what do you what about the music captivated you? Because you know here you are you have a modern jazz country music and then you've been embraced by New Orleans jazz and that gumbo uh, of music the lyrics the lyrics okay. The lyrics and also the musicality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 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 brilliance of the way he put together his the whole thing. That day, it was an evening. He was the second act of a three act part. Uh, I was like blown out of the water. Okay. And at the time, I was working as a photo assistant to Eric Miola. So I went rushing down to Eric Miola. You know, he did the Board to Run album cover. Oh, okay. I went rushing down to Eric. And Eric, I said, Eric, I just heard the most amazing thing. 
And Eric said, you know what? And Eric broke out the first two albums. He had Wild and Innocent, and he had Greetings. Wow. So I had already made a deal with the guys that I would come down to their next concert, which is a week later. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in Basbury Park. I think it was in Red Bank. Okay. It was a little college gig. So Eric and I drove down there in my little Carmen Gio. A rolling wreck it was. And, you know, back in those days, that was like a 100-seat house, maybe. Yeah. 200-seat house. So we just went rolling backstage. We, and Roy walks up to me. I've already known Roy for four years. Roy is my brother. My sister almost married his best friend. Okay. And years earlier, Bud Brimberg, who does all the New Orleans Jazz Fest posters, took mm-hmm. me to meet Roy. Okay. So Roy came up and said, aren't you Kitty Pyle's sister? I said, yes, I am Roy. And there was Roy, you know, an old friend. And I just started going to every single gig mm-hmm. and shooting every single gig. And then before I knew it, I was at 914 shooting the shooting the sessions of Born to Run. Then we moved down to Record Plant. And I was shooting that. I was shooting the rehearsals. I was shooting everything in between. You know, when we would go out to get something to eat, I'd shoot that. I shot, I just shot the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I have I have a, a an in-depth knowledge of music. Right. And his music, his first three albums, I think are three of the best albums ever ever recorded. And I think Born to Run might be, in my opinion, in my simple opinion, one of the most brilliant albums ever recorded by anyone. Yeah. And I was there for the I was in the studio at Record Plant for all of it. Wow. It was just me and the band. It was very funny when we did a book signing at, at um, Rizzoli in New York. I was got stuck in a hospital and I was late. And Max was um, Max had agreed to come out for the signing. Yeah. Max was talking and the funniest thing, somebody we, we, we told me this. That when Max joined the band, for the longest time, he just thought I was a member of the band. Oh, how funny. Isn't that? Max is, is so sweet. Max, yes. has been, Max has been playing recently at the Rainbow Room in New York on Monday mm-hmm. nights. Yeah. So I always put together a group of ten. We call it Mad About Max. Uh. And we go dance to Max. Well, my um, my wife would be right there with you. Um, she has a little crush on Max. She talks about uh, when she went and saw them the second time in 2012. She she just fell in love with him. She says oh, he is such a, a you know he's such a great guy. You know she just he bangs that she was very very you know just loved him. So well, Max is kind and generous and smart and giving and and what I said in the book, and I really do mean it, that Born to Run could not have happened if it weren't for all of them. Because yes. In that time, in that time frame, Bruce didn't read or write music. Right. Paul's Born to Run on the piano. 
and we would be in the studio for days with him humming the lyrics to the guys, humming them. Mm. And the most epic story that goes along with that is, you know, the sax solo in Jungle Land that Clarence did? Yes. That was three days. Wow. Three days. And after each take, Clarence would say, that's it, right, boss? And Bruce would say, one more time, big man, one more time. I knew finally, you know, they just, they had to give up because it was the day of the Providence concert. Yeah. Of 1975. They had to leave the studio. They were done. That's how the album finished. It finished with, there was a, there were little bits and pieces being recorded all over that building. And about five o'clock in the morning, they all assembled in this shabby, disgusting, it had a sheet in the window. And when the sun rose, I was sitting on some steps with my little Leica. And when the sun rose and cast a shadow across these guys, I took a couple of pictures. Usually I didn't shoot much in the studio. I didn't want to shoot much because everybody was so on edge in the studio that I felt that if I broke up my camera, that it would be an interference. So I didn't. Yeah. And so that's why in the book, you won't see that much in the studio. Just very few pictures. And even though I was there for months. That makes sense, though. You you don't want to disrupt, correct? It um, was very complex. It was very, very complex. Yeah. And, and that you could cut the tension with a knife. They all knew that they had, you know, quote, one last chance to make it real. Yeah. And if they didn't make it with this album, they were all done. Right. And the last thing I'm going to do is stick a camera in their face. Yeah. Um, that sounds fascinating. Um. So as you continue this relationship and and um, talking to them, um, why why did you decide to do a book? Well, I've made a number of runs. I've had a lot of people trying to get me to do this book for decades. Right. And every time it comes down to the same thing, they cut the band out, and mm-hmm. it ends up being a book about Bruce and Born to Run. Born to Run is Bruce's baby. Right. The album is Bruce's baby. But there were a lot of midwives on that album. Yes. A lot. I mean, it was Bruce's vision. It was Bruce's music. It was Bruce's lyrics. But these special set of guys brought out the sound that he heard in his head. You know, he talked about that uh, during the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right induction ceremony for the band where he said it his music is better with them than it was without him it's a very special group of guys yes and they all love each other dearly they are they are a band of brothers yes i can imagine and they um and i've remained friends with every single one of them to this day now, Barbara, have you seen any of the epi- uh, the this shows on this river tour? I saw the one in Atlanta. Okay. I was in Atlanta when that one. I was passing through Atlanta to start moving my house out. So, so I saw that. So as someone who's been there in a lot of ways since the beginning, 
I want to know if you agree with my theory. I've talked to this uh, several people that I get the feeling I was there at Pittsburgh. It was the first time I've ever been at a show that started, you know, a tour. Um, and I've seen him, um, relatively speaking, very few times, 14 times, though I'm a big believer seeing the amount of the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not necessarily a correct barometer of how big of a fan you are. Of course uh, it's not. Yeah. So, I mean, I had not seen Bruce at all. Yeah. And I became a huge fan. Right. So It has nothing to do with the number of concerts. It's whether or not you click with the music. Yes. Do you think – I get the feeling that they realize that the time in front of them – is shorter than the time behind them. And of they course. only have a limited amount of time left where they're going to be able to play with each other. And not because someone's well, we've sick or lost anything. Danny and Clarence. We've exactly. lost Danny and Clarence. Right. And and I just feel and that's why I want to know if you agree with me, they just seem to savor every moment on stage together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's, but they always have. Okay. The thing is, is they always have. Mm -hmm. When when they're on stage, they come alive. Yeah. And this isn't your normal rock and roll band that plays on the stage so they can go out and get girlfriends or do drugs. These guys are clean. Yeah. They are completely clean. They're mm -hmm. not playing their music to another purpose. Yeah. To get groupies, to do anything. They are playing their music because they love the music. Yeah. They are always ecstatic on stage. Always. <laughs> always. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I think they're going to play right until they drop dead on stage. I, I get that feeling. I mean, Bruce, look at Bruce. Yeah. He How old is, is Bruce now, anyway? 66. 66. And I don't know. I don't know if you saw the photos or the video of his mother dancing to Ramrod. I did. Didn't you just love it? Yes, that was. There's nothing cuter. And as my wife said, no wonder he looks good. It's in the jeans. Look how good she looks. Well, however, he has put in a ton of exercise. Yes. I mean, I've I've seen Bruce, you know, from the seventies. Yeah. And then he became like, you know, bodybuilder Bruce in the 80s, which I didn't right. like that look. And now he's back to lean, mean Bruce, which is a fabulous look. Absolutely. Um, I think they all look great. Yeah, I think so, too. How do you, um, as someone who's been there forever, um, being on there, uh, I ask a lot of people that are on the guest, too. You know, I my first show wasn't until the Rising Tour. And I loved the Wrecking Ball High Hopes where it was the E Street Band on steroids, as Ali calls it, or yeah. you know, the E Street Orchestra. Um, and now then we're having – which is funny when you think there's 10 people on stage and we're calling it a smaller band. Do you have a preference as a fan which one you enjoy more? I love all of it. Mm -hmm. I love it all. I mean, you know, we can't – possibly say that we don't really miss Clarence and Danny. Right, absolutely. But you look what it took to replace Danny. Yeah. Not Danny. I mean Clarence. I mean Clarence. 
Jake, I've known Jake since he was a kid. Yeah. You know, Jake was Clarence's roadie. Uh-huh. So he was the one with the backstage passes. Jake was on the road with Clarence for a long time. Wow. Long before he ever showed us, you know, the real Jake. Yeah. And thank all I can say is thank God we've got Jake. Because yes. without Jake, Bruce wouldn't be able to play a lot of those songs. I, I agree. Um, I love Jake. Yeah. So, so wow, that's amazing. Uh, do you have a Do you have a count of how many times you've seen the band perform? Oh, I don't have a clue. Okay. I mean, I had seen them in '73 and '74. I was over a hundred. Yeah, because you're just you were there all the time. I was there at every single concert. Yeah. And then I followed them. I went. I skipped uh, from July to September of mm-hmm. uh, 1975, and I knew they were so burnt yeah. in by creating Born to Run. But when they went to New Orleans, I wanted to show them my New Orleans. Yeah. And that was the first time I saw Bruce smile in a year and a half. Wow. And I've got the pictures to prove it. Yeah. I had a party for them in my courtyard. Fats was there. There's a picture of them with Fats in the book. Okay. My janitor. I took him to Lee Dorsey's pool hall. There's pictures with them and Lee. Wow. With his pool hall and band. And then Stevie and Lee, they did a – it was Stevie's idea to cook up um, a jump-up uh, performance at the at the um, Yaya Lounge. That was wow. what – that's what Lee called his joint. So Bruce had had to go ahead to, da- to Austin or Dallas. No – he had had to go ahead somewhere in Texas. I'm not sure. Okay. Probably he was just going to go see his girlfriend. That would be my guess now. Yeah. Now that you know, now then I I didn't know then that his girlfriend was from Dallas. You knew that, right? I did not know that. Yeah, his girlfriend when he was doing Born to Run was from Dallas, Texas. Oh, how funny. Yep. Karen Darwin. Okay. Interesting. And she was she traveled with us for uh, quite a while. We picked mm-hmm. her up. We picked her up in Dallas. Yeah. And she rode with us in that little bitty van. So the way I ended up on the van was very funny because I showed them such a good time in New Orleans. I showed them New Orleans. I took them out record shopping, clothes shopping. I took Bruce to Canal Street. He bought. He didn't buy jeans, but he sure tried on a lot. Yeah. He bought another one of those floppy hats of his. We had lunch. Then we, I got the rest of the band. I had a white convertible in those days, a, a 69 Cougar that they called the ghost in New Orleans because I would cruise around in it at night going to all the clubs, all the clubs. Wow. And then I'd go back and see Alan. I'd tell him who's playing what, who did what, who did how. Yeah. Because I was, was at Tipitina's. I was everywhere. Sure. And sure. also I was going to all the Indian practices. So, so I knew New Orleans. I know New Orleans better than I know any other city in the on the planet. Yeah. And the idea of them going to New Orleans like sad boys, with what I had to offer them in New Orleans was just not possible. So I went down to New Orleans, and then they said, "Geez, why don't you meet us in Dallas?" So I didn't ride with them to Dallas, not Dallas, Houston. Okay. Why don't you meet us in Houston? So I met them in Houston. Did the same thing. Took them all around, showed them hysterical stuff, took a lot of funny pictures. And they said, well, why don't you just come with us on the bus? I said, well, why not? So I jumped on the bus. We, we went from Houston to Dallas. Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, we went to Oklahoma next. And that's where I'm from. And that's when you guys stopped and had barbecue at your parents' house. Right. But I had an ulterior motive. Yeah. Because that cover, the cover of that book, Coffee Cup Cafe, is where I used to eat lunch with my grandfather. So I got us on a one-block detour. This is the only time I ever did this with the band. Okay. Any group shot I had with the band, except one other that Bruce asked me to do, any other group shot, I just see them all close together and I say, okay, tighten up, guys. Yeah. And I'll do a group shot. But if there's, you know, I never actually went out and posed anything except that very funny picture of Clarence and Roy by the Exxon sign. I posed that. Yeah. But the otherwise, we pulled up the coffee cup and I'm like, get out of the bus. I've never asked you to get out of the bus. I'll never ask you again to get out of the bus. But just do this for me. Get out of the bus. So they got out of the bus for about five minutes. And that's where the cover came from. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm looking at the cover right now. Um, well, that's my hometown. Okay. And then we went to Oklahoma City. And Bruce actually asked me to do a group shot there. And I had all my lights with me. So I we just set it up. My mom and dad and me. Yeah. We set up lights and we shot all those pictures in the dressing room in Oklahoma City. And that's when Bruce learned that he had really made the charts. Wow. If you see him hold that picture of him holding the cake. Yeah. And beaming. There's mm -hmm. only two shots in that book of him beaming. Yeah. One with Fats Houston and that one. Mm-hmm. At the end of the book, when he's with Southside Johnny. Yeah. That's two years later. Wow. He had already made it. The pressure was off. The lawsuit was over with Mike Appel. Yeah. Um, this is amazing. Um, I see it's on Amazon. Is it, Where else can uh, people get it from? Well, that's the best place to get it unless okay. you want it signed by me. Okay. If you want it signed by me, then you've got to come to my gallery. Okay. On April 24th. In New York City, Carmine Galleries, 59 Carmine Street, discounted photographs, and I will sign any books purchased on the spot. Very nice. Um, is there any – I always ask this song, uh, this question, you know, with someone who's seen as many shows. Is there any song that you haven't heard him sing live that you want to? I've heard him sing every song he's ever written live. Okay. Is if there's is there a couple of songs that mean a special you have a special meaning for or that Jungle means something? Land. Jungle Land. Jungle Land. Jungle Land. Okay. Because I was there. Mm -hmm. Jungle Land. Okay. So I was there for the whole thing. Tenth Avenue freeze out. They used to call me Puerto Rican Jane because I had a Puerto Rican boyfriend. Oh, how funny. That was, they, that was my nickname. Uh huh. I love I, I, I love Tenth Avenue Freeze Out. Yeah. I mean there are so many of the songs. I mean yeah. I'm a period Bruce person. I love all his music. Yeah. But the first three albums are the ones that imprinted me. Yes. When the screen door slams and Mary's dress waves. Yeah. All of those songs are yes. points. Yeah. All you have to do is get one of those Get the book called Songs. Yeah. It's a book Bruce did. And you read the lyrics. And yeah. it'll blow you out of the water completely. His his lyrics are poetry. There's so many songs of his 
that are just beautiful. Uh, they are poetry. They are just poetry. That's why you said, what did I like the most? Yeah. The lyrics. Yes, absolutely. The they speak lyrics. To yes. And you'd have to be deaf, dumb, and blind if you can't find something. And I'm saying I put this out to anyone. Right. Not find something that resonates with you and Bruce's lyrics, then you're not even alive. Yeah, I, I agree. There, there is something in Bruce's lyrics for absolutely everyone. You're not that young anymore, but hey, you're all right. Yeah. You're going to be at both Brooklyn shows. Both. And uh, you're going to have the party at the gallery between. Yes. Um, we're doing it as a benefit. Very in nice. Solidarity with Bruce and the band. We're discounting all the photographs. Yes. Giving a portion of the profits to an LGBT charity in New York. Very nice. That provides housing and shelter for homeless youth. Mm, very nice. Um, if someone wants to reach you, Barbara, how can they? I'm pretty easy to find. Okay. I'm very easy to find, but actually I'm not that reachable because I don't have internet. Okay. I'm easy to find. You can find me on Facebook. You okay. can find me at Carmine Galleries on Carmine Galleries on Facebook. You can okay. find me on Wikipedia. Okay. You can Google my name and just find about find me anywhere, but actually reaching me. Yes. I and a well, I am so glad you spent time with us. The name of the book is Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, 1975. I will include the link for the at Amazon. And if you're if you're in New York on Sunday, go by the gallery. And are you going to call on some of your old friends to maybe stop by? We'll see. Okay. <laughs> I, and that is a we'll right see. answer to give. You know, and Barbara. Remember, folks, Yes. In closing. Yes. No retreat, no surrender. Absolutely. And, you Save know, the planet. Absolutely. And I appreciate you taking time to spend time with me. You are absolutely a joy. I'm going to order the book because I am not going to make it up to New York, but I will work that out. And I look forward to seeing um, all the beautiful photos. But in honor of you, we're going to end with Outside the Streets on Fire in a Real Death Waltz. Between what's yes. flesh and what's fantasy. And yes. the poets down here don't write nothing at all. They just stand back and let it all be. And in the quick of a knife, they reach for their moment and try to make an honest stand. But they wind up wounded, not even dead, tonight in Jungle Land. Jungle Land. Thank you, Barbara. Hope you have a great you, uh, night. Travel safe. And thank you again for talking to me. Well, Bye. Jeff, thanks for having such a fabulous show. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's kind of you to say. And All as right. Captain Planet would say, the power is yours.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.